on this episode of Team Building Saves the World. The hardest thing to do is to stay emotionally regulated when somebody right. else is losing their friggin' minds. Right, right, right. right. One of the da- most dangerous phrases in the English language is this. It's always been done this way. Right. Like we've been a clenched fist for three years. Yes. Yeah. Can everybody just take a look at each other right now? I just want you to make eye contact with somebody in the room. It's brutal. (laughs) They're jerks. And so are you. (laughs) And so then what happened? Your old friend Rich Rindensland, host of Team Building Saves the World. The show where I speak to thought leaders from around the world, discussing variable strategies and tools to help you and your team build a better work environment. And today, we'll talk about getting it together as we discuss disconnection with renowned psychologist, speaker, author, and CEO, and chief happiness officer of Dr. Jody Carrington Consulting, the queen herself, Dr. Jody Carrington. But first, I need to share some love with my supporters at Team Bonding. If your team is ready to experience teamwork to the power of play, then visit teambonding.com to learn more. Now, team, join me in welcoming my guest, the author of such noted books as Kids These Days, A Plan for Reconnecting with Those We Teach, Lead, and Love, Teachers These Days, Stories and Strategies for Reconnecting and Feeling Seen, and Reconnecting in a Disconnected World. Sorry, and Feeling Seen, Reconnecting in a Disconnected World. There it is, Dr. Jody Carrington. Hi, Jody! Oh, I love it when the crowd goes wild like that. Oh, yes. And I pay them well to do so for you. Thank you so much. Thank that just, you. That's exactly what I needed today. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and joining us. Uh, real quick, I mean, we have a lot to talk about. So let's start where I always like to start. Tell my team out there a little bit about yourself, how you got into this field, and what it is about this field that that led you into the business side of it. Okay, I love it. So I grew up in a little town um, in Alberta, Canada. And I didn't know then that everything I needed to learn happened there. Mm. And for me, it all comes back to relationship. I can tell you the first and last name of every teacher I had, my hockey coach. Um, I remember so many things about what I felt, how I felt, not about necessarily what I learned. And so I have to talk about this on stages now where I don't remember anything about literacy and numeracy or specifics of anything. I went Mm. on to get a PhD, but I always remember the way that people made me feel. And so I remember thinking, even as a very privileged kid in this little town, um, I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to make people feel the way that a couple of my teachers were able to make me feel in grade school. Okay. And so my dad was very excited about this. He was like, you're going to go, you want to be a teacher? And I was like, no, I'm not a fan of children. Um, I'm still not a fan. I have three of my own, so I'm kind of coming around. But I... What I know to be true, Rich, is that if the big people aren't okay, if leadership isn't okay, the people they're trying to get to places won't be either. Mm. And when I left there, I, I worked for our National Police Force. I was a civilian member of the Royal Canadian National Police for a couple of years, mm. learning what it looks like when organizations don't look after their people. And what happens when it's hard work, human services work, trauma work that happens. Right. If you don't look after your people, they can't continue to serve. And so I spent, when I got my PhD, I, I did... 10 years on a locked psychiatric inpatient unit for kids because I became a child psychologist. Mm. And uh, I started to learn about trauma and neurological processes. And we then got children of our own really too quick, three under two. It was a test of my own. Okay. Resilience. But anyway, it's fine. <laughs> I love them now. And um, 
so we moved to this little town to raise our babies where my husband grew up and I started speaking um, to teachers, to hockey coaches, to farmers, to anybody who would listen about relationship and connection. Mm. And that turned into three best-selling books. And now I speak around the world and I have a little private practice. And uh, the message is the same all the time. We were never meant to do this alone. And we've never been more disconnected. Excellent. Let's let's dig into it. Why are we so disconnected now? I mean, obviously, there was the pandemic. That was a huge hit to everyone, including businesses, but individuals as well. All right. So there, there was a mental health crisis that was starting. I was so concerned about this as a psychologist prior to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And the pandemic just exponentially created that process like you've never known. Right. I was um, doing some studying. It said in tw- as early as 2018, people were talking about feeling disconnected. And, well, and I'll tell you why. You think about this is the first generation that we have been this disconnected. So I will tell you, despite the fact that we're neurobiologically wired for connection, if you disconnect from an infant, they die. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing you will do is look into the eyes of the people you love. So I don't know who created that secondary rule there, mm-hmm. but we are neurobiologically wired for connection. But the hardest thing you will do is look into the eyes of the people you love. And we've never had this much proximity between us. Mm-hmm. Like think about the square footage of the house that your grandfather lived in. Okay. And the square footage of the house in which many of us raise our babies. What's the difference? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. You know, and yeah. so retrospective data, this is what gets me every time. Retrospective data would suggest that our great grandparents looked at their children 72% more of the time than we look at our babies. Hmm. And you will never automate relationship. When I talk to organizations globally now, I talk so much about the fact that technological advances, the, the pandemic taught us that we can stay connected around this globe, but you will never automate relationship. Get your people back in the office. Okay. connect with your people as much as you can. There's not a doubt in my mind that yes, we need to be flexible and we enjoy, you know, some of the freedoms that come with that. Right. And the price will be too great. Are we seeing that, that a lot of this is because I mean, even when we are together, people are still doing this. They have their phones in front of their faces. They're blocking their view of one another from the screens. Is all of this adding to it? So is it the technology that's even separating us within the same rooms? Listen, you, um, kindness, empathy, compassion is a skill. Mm -hmm. And if you've never received it, you can't give it away. And if we are increasingly in this place where we are disconnected, we are losing access to the ability to develop those skills. And so small talk, being able to strike up a conversation, give a compliment feels weird or awkward. And the less we get skilled at that, the less our babies are watching us do that. There's no script for that. Gotcha. So you can't tell a kid how to be kind or anti-racist or inclusive. You got to show them. Mm-hmm. I can't tell my team how to do the things that I want them to do as effectively as if I show them. Right. I mean, that's, that's the premise of culture. Right. And when we think about our lack of connection to people and, you know, even this ability to, to do zoom or to do this, I mean, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. If we were in the same room, neuro, neurophysiologically, we'd be different. Okay. But what's so critical is that even our cameras are on. Right. That's critical. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I have done, especially during the pandemic itself, as we started getting into what everyone was proclaiming as Zoom fatigue. You know, you would get to Mm. more and more events where less and less people were turning their cameras on. And I'm begging them, especially during my time with them. I'm facilitating. We're here to have a good time. Turn your cameras on. We need to see smiling faces. I need to see some feedback too, because I need to know if I pissed you off or I'm crossing the line or, you know, I can't do this alone, you know? And I think that 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 communication is the thing we'll never automate. 
And so we can expedite policy and procedure all we want. But if your team don't feel seen, they will not rise. One of my favorite hockey coaches said this, you should see how fast I can get a kid to skate when I know the name of their dog. Huh. <laughs> That's great. That's excellent. Isn't that? Yeah. It's phenomenal. Hmm. Mm. But let's talk about the workplace now. In, in what way are we seeing disconnection affecting the workplace? Okay. So I will tell you the fundamental best thing any of us will do well is to be able to stay calm in times of distress. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's called emotional regulation. Right. It is actually the thing that we have always liked historically in people. We like people who are emotionally regulated. We don't like it when people are losing their friend of minds. If any of your team is, you know, still married, uh, think about the last time, you know, you like it best when people are calm. Yeah. If you have uh, you know, personal children, you like it best when they're calm. We've always put a high emphasis on emotional regulation. Sure. But the only way you learn emotional regulation is face-to-face connection with each other. And we've never been more disconnected. Okay. So part of the issue is if I'm going to tell somebody that they matter, or that they're important face-to-face connection matters a lot in this process. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about the most dysregulated people, here's the three ingredients to the most dysregulated people I've ever seen. So if I was, you know, at the scene of an arrest or uh, a death notification or apprehending a kid, uncertainty, fear, no end in sight. Those are the three things that make us the most dysregulated. Right? Mm-hmm. So you think about your businesses and financial ruin, uncertainty, fear, no end in sight. You uh, just three of your top employees just quit. <laughs> but that's what gets us the most dysregulated. If you're in an abusive relationship, uncertainty, fear, no end in sight. Those are the three things that make us, huh? Mm-hmm. Think about the components of a global pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. for the past almost three years, many of our organizations have been in a state of heightened arousal, which means your shoulders are up. Your anticipatory anxiety has never been this high. Okay. Mm. And it leads to this concept that Freudenberger came up with in 1974 called burnout. Right. And it's the thing people want me to talk about the most these days. And it has nothing to do with the pandemic. Freudenberger is a German psychologist, dead guy, who came up with this in 1974. Okay, it's older than me. And he said, here's the three things. Here's the definition of burnout. When the resources outside of work intended to fill your soul are not greater than the ones that get sucked from your soul hmm. at work, you'll burn out. Okay. <laughs> and so basically, if you don't put gas in your car, it stops going. If, if you as an entrepreneur, if your expenses don't every once in a while become less than your income, your business fails, same thing. Right. And for a long time from an organizational perspective, we haven't understood this. If you don't look after your people, they will not be able to serve. And these three things, you know, Freudenberger, this, this still sort of holds up today across industries and organizations. Here's the three things you'll notice in the most burnt out among us. He said, an emotional exhaustion, a lack of compassion, and an experience of futility, which basically means your give a shit is broken or, you know, you give a rip is broken. Sort of. mm-hmm. um, and so the first thing, emotional exhaustion makes sense to me because if you think all of us have been in this state of uncertainty, yeah. no end in sight, yeah. teaching sure. from home, wondering about the success of our businesses, are we physically safe? I don't want you to see me. I haven't combed my hair because I try to get my kid up, you know, right. uncertainty, fear, no end in sight. So you think about when you hold your shoulders like that yeah. for a very long time, you're so tired. Like we've so all been, a, like we've been a clenched yeah. fist for three years. Yes. Yeah. And so now that the pandemic is over, people are like, I don't understand why I'm still so tired. You, you've been running a marathon, which affects your sleep. If I was going to do a mental health assessment on anybody, my first question is, how are you sleeping? Hmm. And when you've been like this, what happens is many of us sleep gets disturbed. Our sleep gets disturbed. Right. And if you think about a toddler missing a nap, 
when they have got their naps, oh my gosh, they're lovely. When they miss a couple, they're jerks, and so are you. And so then what happens is it leads to the second thing that Breidenberger talked about. We start to not like each other. So our ability to stay connected to humanity is compromised. When you're tired, you want to throw punch people. And so if we now think about a workforce that is tireder than they've been, and they're serving humans who've never been this chippy, it becomes very difficult to feel like you're successful, which leads to the third thing called futility, which is really like, like misery doesn't love company. Misery loves miserable company. And when we're in this place of like, what's the point, right? There's no resources. Mm -hmm. There's nobody to fill positions. You know what? I'm leaving. You're leaving at three. Bring it. Me too. What are they going to do? Ooh, give us a water bottle. And (laughs) it becomes so tricky to stay connected because somebody then optimism, it'll kill optimism. Because if somebody comes into the staff room, for example, and says like, okay, it's a new kid, baby, or a student, whatever. And they're like, you know what? You know what? I was just thinking you guys, um, do you guys want, so funny, right? Do you guys want to do a potluck on Friday? Something like that? No. And people are like, shut up, Jeff. Because it's like, there's no ability to find that optimism and that innovation because we're exhausted and we're feeling kind of disconnected from each other. So I think all of those things have sort of set us up to be in this perfect storm right now. A little bit of a, you know, disconnection from each other, heightened arousal, worried about the physical safety of the people we love the most. Some of us, you know, operating from home, teaching from home, navigating those things, despite the fact that we're back into it now, we're exhausted. And you can't address what you don't acknowledge. We really just want people to be okay, right? We've always wanted people to be regulated. So we do a lot of this. You're good. We're good. It's good. We're good. We're good. Oh my God. I love my marriage. Oh, I love it. Uh, so good. We're good. Oh, this job is so good. Right? Because right. we don't want to be the dysregulated ones, but we are. Right. And well, let's say that I'm a mid-level manager in a corporation. Um, what signs can I look for? for my employees that they're feeling disconnected that this, I mean, short of throat punching each other, let's find an earlier stage <laughs> that I can help Love them to it. find. So, I mean, if we always take a step back for me, it's like we often care the most for other people. And if I were to think about, you know, three criteria or three fo- focuses moving forward, it would be in this order. You, mm-hmm. the people on your team, and then the people you serve in that order. Okay. So, if I wake up in the morning and my before and mo- many of us do this, like, including me, Rich, I mean, I'm before we even put our feet on the floor, we're scrolling other people's lives. We're in a state of comparison. We sure. think even before we take our first breath, Oh my gosh, what's for supper? Holy, I got to get this report in. Oh my Jesus. Why didn't I have a conversation? <gasps> and our shoulders are up before we even get our feet on the ground. Right. right. And then the people we love the most are asking us for things before we even leave. Right. Like mom, is my lunch ready? Uh, did you put gas in the car? And you're already like, zip it. And so part of the issue is I want you to think about where your shoulders are. How much have we lost access to sort of why you're doing this? Because I mean, whatever we do in our organizations, it is just a job. We are remarkably replaceable. And so when we lose sight of those things, what happens is we tend to lead from a place, try to build culture from a place where we're on edge. That's never an effective starting point. So you matter most to me than anybody then it's the people you serve with, right? How do they feel seen, right? What are we doing in the run of a day to check in? Because we want to fix problems, particularly as leaders, and we forget the most critical piece, which is this thing called acknowledgement. Can I hold space in the middle 
to just notice how are you doing today, Rich? I'm so glad you're here. Mm. Right. I look, how did it go last night at that game? Right. How is the dog? Oh my God. You do, I mean, it's driving you nuts. Are you sleeping? Like what's happening? Those acknowledgement pieces change the world. And it doesn't mean that I'm not going to have to give you critical feedback or that we're not going to have to have a hard conversation or that, you know, I'm so interested in, in how exhausted you are with a, a certain client, but that middle place of acknowledgement that we're humans too is so necessary these days because we've never been as disconnected. We're not getting it anywhere else. Okay. And so we have to spend more waking hours with the people we work with than with the people we don't. Okay. Wow. Um, I want to dig so much more into this because it seems like there's so much to dig into. But unfortunately, Jody, I do need to step away just for a quick second. I hope you don't mind. Because I need to tell all my friends out there about a company I am very proud to be a part of, Team Bonding. Team Bonding was founded over 20 years ago with one simple question. How can employees have a great time while fostering strong, authentic bonds between people who work together? No matter where your company is located, Team Bonding offers powerful, engaging, custom team-building events designed to get the best out of your team anywhere in the world. They've created a catalog of innovative events using the power of play as a learning tool and tapping into the correlation of work and play. Whether it's scavenger hunts or Jeopardy or so much more, the team bonding of activities, be they live, virtual, or hybrid, maximizes the impact of team building with an accent on fun. Visit teambonding.com to schedule your event now. Team bonding, when you want seriously fun results. And speaking of fun, we're back with Jody. We are talking about connecting together in the workplace Oh, Jody, just team building itself. Is this a method to help with reconnection? Oh my goodness. Yes. I think that team building though has come from such a place of, it drives most people nuts. I don't know if you know this, but like when they're like, oh my God, do we have to like fall into each other's arms? Um, (laughs) what is, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have 67,000 things to do. You want me to do this and we're going to take a day and frolic. Right. And um, it's like, so what, what does that mean for me? And I think so much of this is so much, you know, really about how are we allowing our people to feel seen? What are we, are we coordinating activities on purpose to allow us to know a little bit more about each other? Are we really doing that? And I think that, so the question then becomes, what is that about? What does that mean to um, get people to sort of see each other? Because here's the issue for me. People are hard to hate close. Right. Full stop. And when we just go about our days every single moment of like work is work, we don't care, get in here, get it done, let's do the things. That is such, I mean, Adam Grant says this, and I love this. We are playing by a set of rules that were established for a world that no longer exists. Hmm. We are playing by a set of rules that were established. And often we lead companies the way we've been led. Yeah. I mean, all you got is the script of how it's been done. Yeah. But Grace Murray Hopper, I, I want to tell you this too, because she's been on my heart a lot lately. She was the first admiral in the U.S. Navy, female admiral in the U.S. Navy. She was a computer programmer. She said, one of the da- most dangerous phrases in the English language is this. It's always been done this way. Right. Right. Oh, man, isn't that nice. good? Yes. Yes, yes. I love that. So when we're thinking about, you know, when we want our people to be most productive, when I want you to be most productive, when I want my children to be most productive, I know that there is that middle place of, I got to see them. Mm-hmm. I got to acknowledge them. I got to feel like yeah. they matter. They got to be acknowledged. They, they got to know that I value them in some way. Right. And I'm going to have to dig pretty deep with some people because the people who need it the most are the hardest to give it to. How can they do that though? 
are there methodologies that leaders of industries can take that will Absolutely. start this already? Okay, so two things that get me right out of the gate all the time is this mm-hmm. idea of um, empathy. And we throw this word around like it's easy. Yep. It's not. Yep. Most people suck horrifically <laughs> at empathy. And it is, it is, empathy requires nothing other than you to try to deeply understand another person's perspective. You don't have right. to condone it. You don't have to be on their side. You don't have to believe it. And, and the harder, the more different people are from us, the harder it is to give them empathy. Right. Which means I'm going to suspend judgment, which we're really awful at as humans. Right. And step into your shoes and try to understand what it might like, be like to be you. Empathy is um, a place where it just sort of, I want to get other people's perspective very quick. That's what I want to do. I want to understand what it's like to be you. And oftentimes when people don't work hard enough or we don't think they're committed enough or loyal enough or getting their stuff done enough, we lose our our access to empathy. Okay. So here's the three things that allow me to step into a space where I'm trying to um, get to know somebody else without fixing the problem. Okay. Here's the three words that save my um, butt every single time. Okay. Tell me more. When you are in a place where you want to fix stuff and people are like, I don't even care. I want more holidays. What is this? This is ridiculous. You said this timeline deadline. Typically we want to fix it, especially when people get emotionally dysregulated. Sure. The hardest thing to do is to stay emotionally regulated when somebody else is losing their frigging minds. Right, right, right. right. And oftentimes instead of trying to fix it or come up with a solution as a leader, the best place, the best strategy, particularly in this very disconnected, lonely world is to take a beat. It can be two seconds. It can be two minutes. Sometimes it takes two days Mm. to be able to do some collecting of that emotion. And what I love the most is the, tell me more. Yeah. And it often stops people in their tracks. Now you have to say, tell me more when you don't want to know more. (laughs) That's the problem. Generally speaking, I'm like, here's the deal. This is what I want you to do. uh, And I, and I can fix it. I know I can save you. This, this happens all the time with kids mostly is that I know Mr. Adolescent that if you would just listen to me, I would save you significant amounts of pain, but the chaos is necessary to learn the calm. You see, Mm -hmm. people can't go around many things. And as leaders, we want to save our people oftentimes, but the chaos is necessary to learn the calm. I like that. I'm going to keep that one. I'm going to quilt that one somewhere. You do it. It's all yours. (laughs) Not looking at ma- at management now, looking at the actual single employees themselves. Let's say that we can see something is coming up with someone else on our level or even just from ourselves. How can we recognize it happening and what can we do to self-correct? You know, I think if there's three things that I think often about for me, if I, I have like a huge goal in my life, I, I would love to be a New York Times bestseller. I would okay. love to show my babies what it means to be successful because you can't tell your kids how to be amazing. you got to show them. Right. I would love to stay connected to my husband, travel the world with my children, nice. and be a CEO of a company that's badass. And when I'm clear on those things, I have access to the best parts of myself. I'm emotionally regulated when I set those plans in place. Okay. The trick is how do I stay there? because I will lose my friggin' mind. People will piss me off. I will fail. I will drink wine excessively and not work out. (laughs) I will forget my vitamins. I will, you know, (laughs) be very unkind to my staff. Like all of those kind of things are going to happen. Let alone, let alone be be empathic. We're like, okay, we've arrived. Here's a plan. You need a plan for when stuff falls apart. Cause it's not, if it's going to happen, it's when. Right. So if I were to think about, 
you know, reconnecting to the best parts of yourself, there's three things I have to do. I have to stay connected to my people and my breath and my why. And I'll unpack this real quick for you. My, your people are a very few set of humans, particularly if you're a leader, they get fewer and fewer. Um, you know, we, we hear this quite often. Lonely is the head that wears the crown or whatever that deal is, or, you know what I mean? Like whatever it is, it's, it's a very unique opportunity sometimes because it gets very isolating. And so I need you to think a lot about who are your people who can remind you about your why, who, who are your biggest fans, but can kick you in the ass when you need it. Who are (laughs) your, you know, like, and not just your friends. I want you to think about, here's how I define my people. They know my middle name. They can make me belly laugh. Uh, if a bra or makeup is required, not your people. If uh, there is any ability, you could just come over and sit on, you know, your buddy's deck and sit there for all afternoon and have, you know, have a beer, talk about, it doesn't matter. You just feel at home. It, it's, there's a safety to it. Okay? Gotcha. Yeah. And if I think about those people, there's usually four or five, they can fit on one hand. You know, I have, I have five, but my husband comes on and off the list, depending on what I'm talking about sometimes. Okay. Uh, but it's those people that sort of can set you straight. And I often think about, you know, one of the people on my list is not even on this planet anymore. We went to college together. She would make me belly laugh by nobody else's business. And when she lost her battle to cancer four years ago, I remember thinking, how am I going to do this without one of my people? And at the time I was reading Mitch Albom's book, Tuesdays with Maury. I don't know if you've, if you've have, read Tuesdays yes. with Maury, yes. but in it, uh, Mitch Albom said, um, one of the things he learned from Maury was this death ends a life, not a relationship. Right. And in some times of our hardest moments, you know, it is to really reconnect with the people who you want to make proud, who showed you how to do it. Mm. And oftentimes it is, you know, a prayer up or it is a, you know, a watch me now kind yeah. of experience, especially if you can't call them. And I, I love, I love that thought about your people, you know, mm. and I, I think they often believe, we often believe that our people know how much they matter to us, but they don't. In fact, the people who you love the most are suspicious when you're kind. I will send my husband a text and say, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of you today. I just, I just wanted to tell you, I think you're an amazing dad. And I'm, yeah. I'm so grateful that I have you on this journey. And he'll you know what he says to me? What'd you buy? <laughs> right? You know, yep. I just told him he's amazing. And yep. he's like, you, did you hit a deer? <laughs> I hate to say, anytime my daughter just out of the blue, I have a teenage daughter, so anytime she just out of the blue will text me telling me that I'm an amazing dad or that she's having a great day and it's partially because of me or any of these things, I'll immediately go, what'd you do wrong? What do you, what yeah, do you, what need? you want? What do you need? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please tell me there's not police involved. You know, these are just the first things that as a dad come to your mind. But you're right. Yeah, they shouldn't. I mean, these are the people we trust the most in the world. So let's trust them. Right. And so we assume often in this very disconnected world, I mean, Mm. how many times do we look at our children? How many times do we sit down with our spouses? I mean, there's this interesting research and I'm going to get to the other two that I was going to tell you about. But there's this interesting research by Anon that I really, really love. He is only platform in this particular study that he's replicated around the world was to sit down and look at somebody you love for four minutes. That was the ask. Okay. And so when I was reading this stuff, it was like, you know, get a sibling or a a partner and just sit with them and look at them for four minutes. And I was like, how hard can that be? Like I'm a psychologist. My husband's got a PhD and how to feed cows and ruminant nutrition is basically what it, but anyway, he's a nice guy. And so we've been together for 15 years and we have three kids on the ground. I was like, how hard is this going to be to look at each other for four minutes? Obviously. I mean, it's look at me. He's lucky. So 
I come home and I say to my personal husband, I just want to sit on the couch and look at you for four minutes. I just was reading this research, hon, and I would love to just do that. You know what he said to me? Why? Why? <laughs> what do you mean? Why? And so this is the hard part about it, right? Is it like we set a timer, we're looking at each other, and he calls a timeout. <laughs> what do you mean? He said, I just want to, I just have a question. Um, is this a new shirt? Um, I, I, like, did you get a haircut? Like, what am I looking for? And <laughs> And here's what's interesting, right? The people we love the most are the hardest to give it to. Mm. And that is why we're on this planet. Ram Dass said this, we're all just here walking each other home. So are you saying it's easier to do this in the workplace than it is to do in your own home? I think the more people mean to you in the workplace, it's hard. When I do this in a, okay. in a group group of corporate people, you know, people who spend their life or their day, you know, catering to customers or talking to people. When right. I say, okay, can everybody just take a look at each other right now? I just want you to make eye contact with somebody in the room. It's brutal. <laughs> There's a lot of like this. <laughs> what? And so it's like that ability to just reconnect to your people almost has to be done on purpose. And then the second thing that I would say to you, if we really want to be able to stay connected, to be able to do this, whatever it is, well, build our team, our cultures, um, your breath is so critical. I mean, Eastern philosophical practice has known this far longer than ever on the planet, but I, you know, I would just, I mean, right now, wherever, whatever you're doing, I want you just to drop your shoulders and People, I mean, every time I ask people to drop their shoulders, they're usually up around their earlobes. Yeah, yeah. But if you drop your shoulders, you you relax your jaw, drop your tongue from the roof of your mouth. It's a very primitive response to stress or, you know, even responsibility is we go like this. Mm-hmm. So relax your jaw, drop your shoulders, wiggle your toes, smile, and then let your gut out. <laughs> that's a relaxed body. And we spend very little time there, especially when we're responsible for humans and budgets and, you know, uh, and that's just at work, let alone what happens when we leave work. Right. And so I would just, I mean, here's the thing I would offer you today, put on your, a sticky note on your car, on your bathroom mirror, on your computer that just says, drop your shoulders. And every time you see that, I promise you, it will bring your body back to that state, decrease your cortisol. Mm-hmm. And if you can find somebody in your team who's really funny and you can belly laugh once, if you, if you got really duds for colleagues, um, you know, <laughs> Google a comedian or something, but if you can belly laugh once a day, you know, drop your cortisol and increase your oxytocin, woo, we are going to be cooking with gas. And then the third thing, you yes. know, really that I talk a lot about is, is really sort of getting back to your why, why, what is it all for? And, you know, I I gave you that Ram Dass quote because, um, I I mean, I keep his words in our office, in our boardroom. And it's really this idea that we're we're just walking each other home. And in any service profession, you are often there to assist. You become a walker. Mm. And if you're really good at it, people want to spend time with you. People want to invest in your company. People want to work for your team. And I think that's the single most important thing. It doesn't mean that everybody will always be a fit. But it means that if that's what you can get back to in times of distress, you'll be okay. And so will the people you work with. You had already mentioned how you wish everybody would be back together in the workplace, in the actual office. But we still have a lot of people working from home because not only was there the great resignation, there was also the great migration. As during the pandemic, people moved to make themselves closer to the family, farther away from work. So what can we do for those people who are stuck three weeks out of four? 
you know, um, away from the office, away from their coworkers. Yeah. And I think, you know, stuck is a really interesting word because some people really love it. They love yeah. they, they choose it. They right. and or it is a requirement of their job. You know, you're a virtual assistant or you're on the road. On the road or sales. Yep. 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 I, I want to be clear that, you know, some organizations can't operate any other way than virtually. Mm-hmm. And so if if I had the opportunity to create a company and in our company, what's so critical is that we spend as much time face-to-face as possible. And if I can't, then if I can't see you, I, if I have an opportunity to jump on a Zoom call, I'm going to take it okay. over an email, far over a text message right. because we lose context. And so if even if I have a, a very remote or virtual team, scheduling meetings where you know you want to come back together with each other, where you want cameras on, is so critical where you want cameras to be in front of people with light on their face, not the, you know, the, like all of those things, keeping your camera at eye level. Yeah. All of those things that allow your people to see you becomes really critical. And I think that, you know, one of the questions I often ask in, in meetings um, and my team really hates it, which is why I do it all the time um, is why am I lucky to have you? Okay. And if we had to hire again, you know, why would I choose you? Tell me why you're amazing. And it's, it's really easy for people to easier, I should say, for people to do that for each other, but when they have to start to get to their, you know, to their place, and then it really allows you as a leader, this opportunity to be like, and here's the 57 other things, Nice. you know? Okay. Jody, thank you so much for coming on. I've had such a wonderful time talking to you about this. First off, you are charming and amazing, but your knowledge about this has just been spot on. Uh, is there anywhere that my team can actually go to find out more about you, especially where they can go to pick up your books? Yeah, I mean, we're on Amazon and, um, you know, any anywhere, good anywhere, Barnes & Noble, anywhere that you can get books, um, you can get any of them. Feeling Seen is the one that just came out recently, and it's really all about, you know, how do we stay connected in this lonely world? Um, I think it would be a great investment for your whole team. I'm just <laughs> saying it would be such a night. You know, when you acknowledge them, they rise. Remember that? Yeah. But yeah, we're on Instagram and social. And I, I just created a, a course called Leaders These Days that we're going to launch here right away because I think it this is such an isolating experience that, mm. you know, there's not very few of us are trained to be leaders. We get into our organizations, or our businesses, and we become them. Right. And I mean, I'm a psychologist by training. Right. right. And when I have a team of 25 people, I mean, I have got it wrong more than I've got it right, whatever that looks like. But it, it's it's really about where do we land? And I, I that's what I love about this podcast. I was so honored that you would that we got to make this work because I think it is such a rich resource for so many people where it can be just such a lonely place to try to figure out, you know, when people quit on you or you have to fire them or you have to set those limits and boundaries. How do we look right. after you? Because it's going to happen in this world. My team, please give one more time a big round of applause for Dr. Jody Carrington. Oh, that was extra big round. There you go. (laughs) They love you. But I hope you continue to love us because it's time to step into my speed round. So I told you a little bit about this in the intro, Jody, um, but just to clarify for you, there's going to be 60 seconds where we're going to hear music and I'm going to ask you questions. The music is just to help me keep track of time, but the questions are where you shine because they are completely innocuous questions. The objective is to answer as quick as you can right off the top of your head. You're a psychologist. You should know this. It's going to be easy for you, but if you're feeling at all competitive, We actually have 14 questions as the number to beat. 
14 Done. actual questions asked. Okay. So when you hear the music, I will ask the first question and away we go. What's your name? Jody Carrington. How many kids do you have? Three. Which one's your favorite? Evan. Nice. Uh, do you have any pets? No. What is your favorite childhood book? Charlotte's um, Web. Do you feel like a leader or a follower? Oh, give me the front of the line. <laughs> What's the most courageous thing you've ever done? Uh, stepped away from a contract that I could have brought us the best opportunity of our life and we didn't align. Wow. Uh, what's the most, uh, who would you like to see play you in the movie of your life? Pink. Uh, if you had to live in any state in the U.S., what would it be? No, just, uh, what living person do you most admire? I am a massive fan of Renee Brown. And what is your favorite vacation? Anywhere when I'm with my babies. That's 11. Well done, Jody. Oh, you said a couple of times. <laughs> that's great. I feel very proud of it. You should. That's actually a really good number. It's. I, I found that it's. I found that it's actually the, the people who who can expound on them and usually do and are used to doing so. They kind of fall by the wayside. But you kept it short. You kept it crisp. I hope you enjoyed yourself today. Oh, listen, it's what an honor to sit with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Dr. Jody Carrington. And thank you, my team, because that's it. We're wrapping up yet another episode of Team Building Saves the World. If you've enjoyed this episode, whether you're new to the podcast or an old fan of the show, please be sure to share it with everyone you know, whether they're a coworker, a friend member, a family. It just helps us to share all this vital information. You can find out all about us, including all past episodes, at teambonding.com slash podcast. You can also find us wherever you find your favorite podcast: Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you go to listen, we will be there. And don't forget to look for us on all the social medias at Team Bond Podcast. You can leave us a message telling me what you liked about this show, what you didn't like about this show. If you have an idea for a future episode, I want to hear from you. So go find us, Team Bond Podcast. So my friends, before we say our farewells for this episode of Team Building Saves the World, please never forget, if you are within the sound of my voice, you're on my team now, and I am forever going to be on yours. So long, team. I'll see you next time. said that you learn more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. So why not put your co-workers to play with the help of the team at Team Bonding? Team Bonding was founded over 20 years ago with one simple question. How can employees have a great time while fostering strong, authentic bonds between people who work together? Their catalog of innovative events includes scavenger hunts, Jeopardy, and much more. Each activity, whether live, virtual, or hybrid, maximizes the impact of team building with an accent on fun. Visit teambonding.com to schedule your event now. Team Bonding, when you want seriously fun results.